0: host Leah Sarah Pierre and welcome to my podcast PureMed. I'm a Canadian medical student, human rights, global health and social justice advocate, as well as just an ordinary human being. As of March 24th, 2021, the PeerMed podcast is an initiative affiliated with the PeerMed Foundation, an organization started and inspired by the very beginnings of these conversations. PeerMed's mission is serving humanity Connecting people, stories, and places. It is a platform that gives a voice to the voiceless, an ear to the helpless, and seeks to empower youth, physicians, and leaders far and wide. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to Monthly Dignity. A Canadian youth-led not-for-profit fighting period poverty in Montreal. They believe that adequate access to menstrual hygiene products should be a right and not a privilege and continue to do this by destigmatizing the intersection of menstruation and precarity to educate on menstrual health and to advocate for menstrual equity. Chloe Pronovost Morgan is a second year medical student at McGill. She co-founded Monthly Dignity during her undergrad in psychology with her colleague Julia. She loves many things including plants, art, reading, and the human brain. Anaïs Pronovost Morgan is a second year student in liberal arts at McGill. She spends most of her free time taking long walks, teaching improvisation theater to teenagers, and watching films on her projector. She loves good breakfasts and singing Taylor Swift songs while cleaning her apartment. Sophia Harbin Heath is a 23-year-old almost McGill graduate in psychology and gender studies. She enjoys podcasting, fancy coffee, and spending Sunday afternoons with a cat on her balcony. Her passions include digital activism, queer theory, and sexual education. So, what exactly is Monthly Dignity and how was the organization's name, for example, decided?
1: Um, so, Monthly Dignity is a not for profit organization that aims to tackle period poverty in Montreal. Um, when we started out uh, in 2017, my colleague Julia and I um, actually were more catering to specifically homeless women uh, because we figured that they were, you know, probably struggling the most with with period poverty and we just weren't aware of how big of a problem it was. Um, and the name came from a brainstorm. Uh, Julia and I were doing a lot of those at the time uh, and we gave ourselves the mission to try to come up with a name and to do that we each went in our corners and thought about it and tried to come up or generate like 20 names, um, just like let our brains, flow and generate ideas. Um, and I ended up finding monthly dignity. Um, and it, it, the purpose of the name is that uh, we think that one's menstruation uh, should never be a hindrance to one's feelings of dignity, um, and that providing menstrual hygiene products on a monthly basis, or just so that people have them on a monthly basis should be a means to reinstate a sense of dignity that that is, stripped from indi- from individuals who can't afford these products.
0: I, I love the fact that you you mentioned how you guys were just exploring and thinking about names. And I find Monthly Dignity very catchy. And as soon as you come across the name Monthly Dignity, it's so applicable to the whole concept of the Menstrual equity, equity Movement. Um, so Chloe, for example, I noticed there's two chapters. There's the chapter in Montreal and the chapter in Paris. So my next question would be is, how did that happen? Yeah, so. Um... That happened quite
1: randomly, actually. So we very much started in Montreal, um, but uh, Julia is is French. Uh, she's from Paris, um, and so when we started the cause, it was all Montreal based and such. And to uh, spread the word, initially we went around all of our classes, um, and we talked about multi Dignity, and we asked people to, you know, like our Facebook page and consider donating if they were interested. Um, and I did this in one of my Spanish classes Um, and a colleague uh, who is a French woman uh, remembered my presentation and kept it in mind and then she graduated went back to Paris and she actually contacted me because she said you know what I've been thinking about the cause since you presented it and I was thinking that I wanted to start something similar here and so we discussed that and we you know weighed the pros and cons of her doing that independently or her and friends becoming a branch of Monthly Dignity and thus like having our expertise and a bit of our experience um, to help them launch. And we proceeded with that. And now Julia has graduated and so she's back in France and sh- she's now
0: heading the branch. That's amazing. Um, And so what inspired the start of of a nonprofit catered towards the menstrual equity movement as opposed to maybe helping through a community or maybe a a club at McGill?
1: Yeah, um, so we did consider uh, going through the club route. um, And initially, we, um, especially Julia, had had the idea of becoming a chapter of Enactus, which is this big, um, like, uh, social entrepreneurship, a club at McGill that sort of sponsors and mentors smaller initiatives. Um, But I think we decided to go down the nonprofit route because we realized that our cause was more broad and general than, you know, the McGill population. And we wanted to be able to reach to a wider scope. Um, And it was less limiting in a sense. Um, There were less, restrictions and it was more empowering for the cause that we were aiming uh, to, you know, redefine and address.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, I I also think that having it be an organization and not a club um, kind of permits a lot more creativity in the ways, the directions in which we grow, Uh, just like being able to have a a chapter in Paris or like, you know, having dreams of having chapters in other cities in Quebec or Canada, that's like not tethered to anything McGill related. Um, so that's, that's cool, it gives us freedom.
0: Definitely, I, I think you were able to expand the scope of and even the impact of like communities that you could touch in, in Montreal. So I think that's a really great initiative to highlight the difference between being an organization nonprofit versus being associated with uh, an affiliated school or club that is existent. Um, And so why is menstruation still a taboo in, in Canada and across the world?
3: Yeah, I think menstruation in general, and like, it's an inherently gendered issue. Um, and I think that gendered issues in general tend to be ones that are almost the most taboo in our society. They come with a lot more conversation needed to open up the con- the discussion. Um, so I think that's definitely one of the first reasons. The other reason is that a lot of politicians don't menstruate. Um, you see primarily men in office. And what that comes down to is that the people who are making the law to make change are not experiencing this in their day to day Um, they don't encounter it as often they often aren't even educated about it in the first place Um, and so I think there's a lot of issue of the conversation isn't really happening where it needs to happen in the first place Um, and then on top of that there's a lack of education there's a lack of access to that education both in like schools in sex ed um, in a variety of different avenues there isn't really as much conversation surrounding menstruation Um, I think, at least personally, I did not learn a whole bunch about menstruation. And I even went to an all girls school where we were very open and we had a lot of conversations about a variety of different topics, but I still didn't learn the ins and outs of my menstruation. It was always almost like teaching you how to hide a tampon in your sleeve, rather than teaching you that menstruation is normal and healthy and a sign of good health. Um, and so I think that that's probably a huge part of it, is the fact that it is in fact a gendered issue and those are inherently so much more taboo, um, as well as the fact that the people who can be making the change don't really engage with the issue and they don't have to engage with the issue because it doesn't affect them on the everyday.
0: Well said, Sophia, I think that, that gendered issue and that lack of lived experience essentially yeah. is what gives them the, they just essentially don't have any conception of what it means to be a menstruate. And so we say access to menstrual products should be a right and not a privilege. Why is this the case? Um, so,
1: I mean, the United Nations declared that the right to sanitation is a human right and they declared this in 2010. Um, but this has remained you know, an abstract concept when it comes to menstrual hygiene, because uh, although, for example, basic hygienic needs are met and made accessible through, you know, soap and water and toilet paper in public spaces, um, they are not done in the same way um, through menstrual hygiene products, um, although these are completely essential to adequate hygiene um, and health.
2: I I also think that this is kind of related also to the concept of androcentrism. Um, Chloe, you could maybe talk about this or like confirm that I'm explaining it well, but like using men as the measure for good health kind of erases um, discussions surrounding menstruation a lot. Uh, and so um, menstrual health is just not thought about because the measure for health is masculine or is um, like, doesn't menstruate at all. And so uh, I think that that kind of makes menstrual products um, seems secondary of importance uh, compared to like toilet paper, but like when in fact toilet paper and menstrual hygiene products are just as essential to deal with like people's hygienic needs, um, and they're just as like you know debilitating when you don't have them. You're 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 in a tight spot, um, and it's pretty uncomfortable in either case.
1: Exactly, and so I think what Anais is also you know alluding to here is that it's not only a question of making them financially accessible, but also a question, a question of making them physically accessible. Because when one finds themselves in a space where menstrual hygiene products are not accessible, this poses a barrier to thriving in that situation. Uh, it can be a barrier to thriving in the occupational environment, the work environment, the social environment or educational environment. And when this happens, chronically to a given portion of the population, namely people who menstruate, then it poses a barrier specifically to that to that population. And thus, um, it's a barrier to gender equity, because it's reinforcing um, a lack of opportunity for a very, you know, specific portion of the population.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that an extra layer to that is that because menstruation is something that isn't educated about and isn't spoken about, it is a barrier that is unseen as well. It goes unnoticed by a lot of people. It's kind of this invisible barrier to thriving, um, which is something that I think monthly dignity really puts an effort into changing because I think it definitely should be not a barrier to thriving and I think it's something that we've all experienced um temporarily naming being in a bathroom and you're like oh my goodness I don't have a tampon on me like you call a friend or you run to the next stall or you ask someone but like Chloe said that is a chronic problem for a lot of people and it happens every month and so that's where the issue really becomes even more difficult Mm
2: -hmm. and like we often say that monthly dignity works at the intersection between um like menstrual health and precarity and those two subjects are both taboo and so when when they intersect it becomes like even more even more taboo and even more uncomfortable to discuss. Um, And so we're trying to shed light on these issues and how they interact with each other um, through like education, through uh, our social media and through the like
0: physical products we distribute. As you've mentioned, the WHO announced that sanitation is a human right in 2010. So why is there little to perhaps no policies addressing citizens lack of access to menstrual products in, in Montreal especially? That's a good question. And I kind of wish I had an
1: answer, but I, I don't think that I do. I mean, I think that the answer was perhaps given earlier insofar as it's not a priority, it's a hidden issue. And the people who make the policies don't necessarily experience this problem. And so it's not at the top of the priority list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, globally or in a word, it's the taboo. It's the fact that it's so hidden that we don't talk about it. And if we don't talk about it, then it's not a problem. And if it's not a problem then you don't have to legislate it. And you know, the right to sanitation is wonderful and abstract um, but if you're not experiencing po- period poverty you're not gonna go into the nitty gritty of mm-hmm. creating a policy to make sure that it doesn't happen. Um, and so I think that would be my answer. But of course I I'm not entirely
0: sure <laughs> my um, I, I definitely agree with you and do you think this will perhaps change in five years and ten years and in, in the future, maybe when we're normal there
1: oh before that before that we're hopeful for this um, <laughs> i I think the world is starting to change definitely as we're seeing um with the new legislation in Scotland that is ensuring the free provision of period products to all those who need them. In New Zealand, in British Columbia, they're making them free in schools. Um, and so the fact that this is happening is showing a shift in paradigm. Uh, when we started out monthly dignity, this is not something that I could have even thought of. Uh, I mean, it's not something that I could have even hoped for. Um, and now it really does seem like politicians and administrations and bureaucracies are waking up to this problem and trying to find solutions. So I hope that Canada will inspire itself from this and Quebec will inspire itself from this and we're actually advocating for that. Um, We're going to hopefully be launching a petition um, asking for this to the federal government. We'll see where that goes but um, we're determined to to make this cause advance because we think that at this point it is a reasonable ask. Yes, exactly.
2: And uh, in in Quebec, I think in November. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Catherine Fournier, which is a who's a, a deputy at uh, l'Assemblée nationale, um, she proposed um, a motion. I don't th- I don't know if that's the word in, in English, but a motion um, demanding access to free period products in schools, and that's being reviewed by uh, like a, a committee that um, talks about questions surrounding. Um, like women's health and, and women's rights. Um, and so that kind of gives us hope because we see that there's already uh, kind of a shift in the way people think about um, period, period equity and uh, like a shift in our own backyard. Like people are, are trying to think about it, uh, started, starting to think about it pretty close to where, where we are and where we operate.
3: Yeah, and I think the other thing that I just wanted to point out is that we are at this kind of like incredible moment of change coming out of COVID-19 pandemic, of course, Um, and I think COVID has really made blatantly clear a lot of these issues that beforehand may have been kind of like, oh, well, there's a problem, but like, is there a problem? I don't know. Whereas COVID-19 has really exaggerated all of those problems and has made them come like to the surface, I think. And I think we have a huge opportunity as a population to move towards change in a variety of different aspects right now. Um, And I think if we can really lean into it and and trust ourselves on this kind of move of change we really are at like a precipice of like a whole new world and we're going to come out of this pandemic very different than we went into it Um, and I think it's really awesome to imagine the fact that like we have access to making change right now and like there is such an avenue for growth in the entire world and in a variety of different ways Um, and I think people are really waking up and I think it's 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 really awesome to see at least
0: I love what you said. I think monthly dignity, especially being so um, innovative and youth-led, especially driving change in the COVID-19 pandemic, which has really highlighted so many inequities that are are just there, is is what is truly going to push for change and and for Quebec and Montreal and Canada as a country to ensure health equity for menstruation. On the one hand, uh, the pandemic has really
2: shed light on all of the inequities that are systemically ingrained in our society but on the other hand it has also highlighted how we as a society is able to change and adapt at a really really fast pace when we need to and when we set our minds to it we have changed the, w- the way we live and operate in so many ways in the last year and so i hope to see like you know, major systemic changes in, in the, the, like, subjects of, of period poverty um, that kind of align themselves with this, this like, just rapid, rapid adaptation. Um, so I, I, I have hope.
0: I, I love that. I think it's essential that we have hope and hope is what pushes us and drives us. And so my next question is about how how long till Canada essentially ensures that menstrual products are free and accessible to all within the country. So moving forward, how does monthly dignity help menstruators experience period poverty of those experiencing period poverty? Um,
1: so our simple model is essentially that we partner up with um, community organizations that work with people that are living in precarious situations. Um, and these have a variety of you know, profiles. So they can range from emergency one night shelters to affordable housing units. Um, and then we essentially lean onto those community partners to ensure a distribution to the people who may need period products for free. And so we provide the menstrual hygiene products that we either get um, for free from a producer called Famco, or that we buy in bulk. And we, so get them them delivered to the community partner and then they ensure that those who need them get them in a free and accessible and equitable way. Um, And so that is our basic model in terms of our palliative goal And then we also have a discursive goal which is you know to tackle and address all of the stigma that surrounds menstruation because this is also a barrier um, to menstrual equity insofar as if you don't have information about menstruation or if you don't have um if you feel extremely ashamed about your period or not empowered to go and seek the products that you need to deal with it um then you find yourself in the situation of a person who doesn't have access to the period the period products that they need, um, and uh, and so for our discursive goal, um, and I mentioned earlier, but we try to you know facilitate conversations about menstrual health and period poverty, um, and do that through various meetings.
0: And so which communities of menstruators does monthly dignity cater to? Are these only indigenous um, menstruators? Are these only homeless or African Americans? And then which sectors maybe in Montreal?
3: Yeah. So, monthly dignity as an organization is inherently anti-racist, anti-ableist, et cetera, et cetera, um, and because of that, we genuinely believe that like all populations should have access to these products. Um, if we were to get specific with it, uh, we don't actually have demographics. Um, a lot of the populations that we work with are what we like to call like hidden populations, and so it's very difficult to like collect data and see like who exactly we're helping. That said, um, for all of our community partners, we essentially ask them to distribute the products um, for free, equitably to whoever may be in need of them. So what that means is essentially that we deliver to just about any population that could be in need. Um, We are in schools, we deliver to students, um, we also cater to a variety of different houseless populations, as well as like immigrant populations who are moving into the country, moving out of the country, we partner with um, an organization called Welcome Collective, who helps to get immigrants settled when they arrive in Montreal. Um, and so we really do try and touch on a variety of different populations and have diversity in our distributions, I would say.
2: Yeah, and just to add to that, um, I think an interesting shift in Monthly Dignity's work in the past few years has been the broadening of our definition of who is affected by period poverty. Um, Chloe kind of talked about this at the very beginning, but initially Monthly Dignity uh, was aiming and hoping to help homeless women. But we realized that this was a very reductive definition of of people who needed this kind of help. Because first of all, um, well, not all menstruators are women. um, So we wanted to include trans and non-binary people who menstruate. And also, well, not only homeless people Experience uh, period poverty. Um, period poverty has many different like faces and many different forms. Um, it can be. Uh, it can affect students, as Sophia said. It can affect immigrants. It can affect people of the LGBTQIA two plus community. It can affect just. a a huge range of people living in precarious situations. And so there was a shift also from homeless to precarious
0: um, that was really essential in, in our way of understanding this issue. I, I really admire how there's been this continuous shift and this critical thinking with regards to the importance of the menstrual equity movement and how much the organization does as a whole, because I think having that perspective and that lens to see through is, is really instrumental, as, as Anais mentioned earlier, that, that change and that adaptation at, at the fast pace of which we're currently moving. Um, mm-hmm. and so are there mm-hmm. any community uh, shelter, community partners or some shelters you, you all would like to highlight? I
1: have uh, almost 20 now, um, so it's, it's a lot, but um, I, we could talk about some recent partnerships that we've made. Um, I mean, one recent partnership that I've worked with is um, um, Femmes du monde Côte des Neiges. And this is a center for women um, uh, who are experiencing um, violence, yeah. intimate partner violence. Um, and so this is a safe space for them to go to that provides legal help, um, that can help with obtaining a, um, a new job, like new employment. Um, it's essentially like this. this one-stop shop where multiple different services are offered to try to re-empower women that are just in very difficult situations. And so this is one recent partnership that I worked on yeah, I would say that like
2: precarity is a spectrum. So we try to okay. address precarity in many different forms. And so, as Chloe had said, um, some of some of our partners are kind of like centers for for people who need help, but some are like really shelters that can be short term day day centers, um, and some are longer term. Another thing that I want to mention about community partners is that uh, more and more people are reaching out and want to help out. And so one partnership I uh, worked on this week is um, a really cool woman who has a lot of free time and wants to create um, reusable pads, uh, like sew them for us. And she's going to give us a a starter pack of 50, which is huge. And um, so we try to not only uh, connect with like shelter partners, but also product sources and producers and uh, other like forms of interesting organizations that are like-minded in Montreal.
3: Yeah, and I think another thing just like to mention is that we're so grateful for all of these community partners. Like we are so happy to be able to like affect this change through a variety of different avenues. And as well, like um, the partners that I think people would imagine when you think of monthly dignity would be like a day shelter where people can come in get the products and then they're generally living on the street. Um, but something that's really interesting and that's really awesome is that we partner like Annie said with like product producers. So like, thank you to Fempro who like gives us all of our products. We have um, a variety of different partnerships that are so important to us and like I think um it's been really awesome to see. Like, we have a storage unit that happens to be at like an insurance company, and it's it's really awesome to see how people want to help. And like, the community has been really, really, really instrumental in our ability to affect the change in our community. Um, and we are very, very lucky to have been able to grow so quickly and have so many community partners that are doing really like the day to day on the ground work, um, and we just facilitate their ability to do that, which is really, really awesome.
0: That's amazing to see Monthly Dignity being there for all these amazing partnerships and touching communities and I, I feel that the, um, have, being the mediator or the intermediary between the community partners and the shelters really ensures that there's like this access and that the partnerships are essentially upheld. Um, And so that I kind of noticed and learned from the efficiency flowchart. But for um, anybody who's listening, Chloe, would you like to explain the efficiency flowchart? Yeah, um,
1: so this is something that I think has really facilitated our growth um, because um, it's essentially a tripartite partnership um, between ourselves, Fempro, and Moisson Montréal. Um, and so us, well, you know us, and then Fempro is the sole producer of menstrual hygiene products in Quebec. And essentially um, they change their um, packaging for marketing purposes every year or uh, twice a year sometimes. And in the past um, that would generate enormous amounts of waste because the products with the old packaging would be sent to, would be sent to the landfill. And so that's where we came in and we said, listen, there's a huge need. Uh, Is there any way that you could give us, you know, products for a reduced price or for free? And then that's how they thought about repurposing those products that were being sent to the landfill for this cause. And this actually is economically effective for them because it's less expensive to donate these products to us than to bury them um, and for them to be wasted. But here, there was a, a piece of a puzzle that was missing because we didn't actually have enough storage space to keep all of these products that Fempro could give us, which is when Moisson came into the equation. And so Moisson Montréal is um, the biggest food bank in Canada, and they have enormous um, storage facilities. And they also have you know delivery trucks, um, which they use already. And so now, when Fempro has products to give, um, Moisson Goes to get them, and so this does not incur any additional costs for Famhoul. They bring them back to their storage facilities. They keep them, and they let us know how much they've received. And we keep aside the proportion of the products that we need for the purpose of our partners, and the rest Moisson can now distribute to their partners. And this makes perfect sense because Moisson works with the exact same population as we do, namely people experiencing precarity, um, because they are. A food security organization that tries to send out um, food rations to shelters and day centers and community partners. Um, and so, since we've been working with Moisson, they've been able to much more than before offer menstrual hygiene products to these partners um and so it's just been this win-win-win-win situation all around
0: (laughs) yes amazing and so what else does monthly dignity do besides helping with these partnerships in the community
3: yeah I was just gonna say so we recently started an initiative in which um we realized that well actually Rocco Speranza who is one of our our community partners um realized that there was this kind of phenomenon of absenteeism in schools every month for about a week or so um young girls or menstruators would not be able to attend school and they started thinking and he was kind of like okay well what could this be attributed to and we realized that there was actually this massive group of individuals and students in elementary and high schools who don't have access to these products on a regular basis. Um, and on top of that, because there isn't as much education surrounding menstruation, they feel really ashamed coming to ask for them. And oftentimes, even when they do come to ask, the teachers don't necessarily have access to these products in the first place, because there isn't funding enough to go to these products. Um, and so from there was born this whole project of, you um, our our educational system, and it is very exciting. We have so far delivered, I wanna say 20,000, is that correct, Chloe? It is. Yes, 20,000 products to um, high schools. We started with JFK, which is uh, the school that Rocco's Brands, our community partner, is the, I believe he's the spiritual leader, community leader. um, Spiritual and community leader. Both Spiritual and community leader animator. Um, And he is incredible. He's been doing a lot of incredible work for us. And we have started distributing these products in the schools such that not only is there a large stream of products that will constantly be available in the bathrooms, in the social worker room, in the nurse's office. We also, um, well actually the students themselves are making these packages so that students can take home a bag of menstrual products and not have to ask for them every month. And they can have those products easily accessible, no questions asked, um, whenever they may be in need of them. And there's a choice. You can have tampons, you can have maxi pads, you can have uh, smaller pads, all of the above. We really do think that you should be able to have exactly what you need. Um, I know personally, when I get my period, I become a complete baby. I need my heating pad, my Advil, and all of my products. And I am very, very happy to see that we're able to now distribute these to um, our schools as well, which is really awesome. Um, and Not then, the heating pad though, we're not there not yet. Not the heating pad, we, we <laughs> don't have, we need a heating pad producer if anybody has some weeds. <laughs> Um But yeah, and then we also are uh, working now, I mean obviously with COVID-19 it's a little bit difficult and we've hit some bumps, but we're working to actually create Um, educational workshops that the students can actually learn from our volunteers and then teach to their peers, um, which is really, really awesome. And we're hoping to be able to spread some education in the schools as well as menstrual hygiene products. And actually all of the students at the schools will be getting these. It's not just um, the female students or the menstruator students the boys will be in the classroom as well. Um, and we really do believe that this education should be able to help as well in terms of destigmatizing and, and breaking down that taboo so that people don't have to feel ashamed on top of having difficulties um, in acquiring the products themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Incredible work,
0: I, I must say, to to be doing the, the work that you are and to be upfront by by already going into the schools and providing these essential needs to students is, I think, um, an amazing initiative just by the the organization itself Um, yeah it's part of like our our larger bigger hopes and
2: dreams of uh making period products accessible in all schools in quebec um and so this is like our pilot project because we've we've learned by doing research in uh how um new zealand uh, British Columbia and Scotland how they've operated and how they have gotten uh, legislation implemented is by starting with uh, smaller pilot projects that prove that there's a need and that it could actually work. So, so this is what we're hoping to kind of do and, and then present.
0: And I'm sure the the community here in Montreal also is really depending and and pushing and in support with monthly dignity. So I'll be on the lookout for the petition upcoming and I'll be more than happy to help in the distribution of it. Um, knowing it, that period poverty, for example, has existed in Montreal, was that kind of like a shock? Because we could understand if it was a, situ- a situation that existed in, say, low and middle income countries. but when, but. when actually realizing that it was a normal problem in a developed country like say Canada or in our community in Montreal, was that a obvious like um, shock to you all? Yeah, that was definitely a shock. And
1: I think, um, you know, in the very beginnings when Julia and I were starting this, um, we, we actually couldn't believe that there were no other organizations tackling this essentially. And we were like, is there, Is there truly a need then or are we just making this up you know like how can there not be any legislation or any organization that seeks to palliate this need and when we reached out to shelters we sent you know masses of emails saying hi like do you distribute period products to the people that you serve and do they need them and how do they get them and the overwhelming response was yes oh my gosh like we never receive these because people when they think homelessness they think about men they think about food and you know clothing and such and periods are taboo and so we don't think about them and and um and all this to say that it's a hidden problem but it is Shocking um, that it's actually occurring in our in our city in our country. Um, but that being said it's not a good enough reason to not do anything about it, and so I think that's why we're really trying to shed light on this and to show. Um, that not only is it real it's unacceptable and in a, a country with the resources that we have, it should not be a problem um and so. This is why, you know, some of our, our, our taglines is that period poverty sh- shouldn't be an issue, especially here.
0: I, I definitely agree with you. And, and that is something that, that you're so correct about Chloe. And, and I'm so happy that Monthly Dignity as an organization is there to push and to ensure that, that human rights are fundamentally ex- respected. And so now moving on, what are some accomplishments of, of Monthly Dignity? Mm-hmm. The accomplishments of monthly dignity is creating such a
2: strong network um and like us i just love the team we've built and it's getting like more and more strong every year um the like everyone that is on our team as a volunteer or as an exec volunteer is just bright passionate and competent and the people we work with in terms of community and shelter partners are just incredible also and so for me one of the accomplishments is just like building this web of support um and Creating links where there weren't any before, um, and making people meet that should but didn't know about each other before. Um, it's really about connection um, and and like logic and uh, I would say also support and entraide, mutual aid. Mean? Mutual aid.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I think in in a word, it's essentially connecting people that should logically work together but didn't have the time or resources to do it prior to us kind of facilitating that link. And also um, it's, it's, I think I'm proud of the simplicity of the solution to this broad and complex problem. Um, and I think this is actually one of the factors that has led us this far is always keeping in mind the simplicity of the solution which is make the products accessible and make the information accessible. And these are our two pillars, they always have been, and this is what we've been like basing ourselves off of um, since we started. And I think it makes the mission like easily understandable and thus um, uh, evocative.
3: Yeah, and I, I think every time that we have a conversation with a shelter partner or a community partner in general, um, recently we had a meeting with um, one of the school principals and every time that we hear like you have made this issue better or like you have made someone's day tangibly more easy, um, I think it's a lot of little successes and sometimes we forget to like step back and look at it but I mean like I would really like to say that like every single product that we've delivered over the years is like a success and like that is really awesome to see and like recently we received feedback from one of our high schools where like the vice principal was literally emailed us saying you have brought dignity back to our girls at school and like in those moments it's when you realize that like like Chloe said it's so easy it's so simple and like every single time that somebody says thank you, and every single time that somebody's, like, this was a need that I had, and you guys, f- like, tangibly fixed it, that is, like, such a success, and, like, it, it's, at least it's why I do what I do, and I, I'm sure that it's why, I mean, I don't speak for both of you guys, but I'm sure it's, it's the exact same thing for you guys, and it's, it's been really awesome to see, like, at least personally, like, the difference that you can make in, like, actual lives and like it it's it's so simple it's so straightforward
0: i would i would add to that to say that um from an a's response i get to see that monthly dignity has formed a close knit family essentially where all the volunteers executives founders work together and essentially it's a support network that has been built and during the pandemic i think that is of extreme importance mental health for each other for those around us in the community. So I would, I would definitely um, be proud of the fact that monthly day Daily has this support system. Another aspect I would like to highlight is that there are so many organizations out there that are working on advocacy and equity, but none of them that have the aspect of actually the practicality of it, Making the needs accessible, and so monthly dignity actually touches the lives of of individuals and the impact of giving those menstrual products to communities and people that actually need them. That cannot be um, put into like financial means or like even words to how to explain essentially how. How, uh, what effect that has on, on the individual. So I really applaud the organization for tackling the, the aspect of, of this health equity, menstrual equity uh, movement from a variety of different angles, which is really highlighting the strength of, and then of course, adding the educational aspect, I think um, you are really expanding the, the outreach and the impact of what we as a, as a whole can do in the community. So amazing initiative and great work uh, to all of you. Thank you so much. Um, (laughs) And so my next uh, question would be is, how is monthly dignity inclusive?
3: Yeah, so I think first, things first, Um, we recently partnered with an incredible individual named Billy, Um, Billy joined our team slowly but surely, uh, for a period of months. And she taught us so much when it comes to inclusivity. Uh, Monthly Dignity as an organization, I think really, really values inclusivity. And we really work to be critical of ourselves at all times. Um, We are constantly looking at the language we use. Um, We are constantly ameliorating the language we use. We're constantly looking at how can we look at different partners and like find different partnerships that allow us to broaden our horizons and allow us to really reach different groups. I think personally um, as like a queer individual myself it's always been super important to me to like work for an organization that like really values that and like that has been absolutely like across the board demonstrated in terms of monthly dignity and we yeah we just like have been really working hard over the last year I think on ameliorating like all aspects of our, our inclusivity and I yeah I think maybe we should change the wording to the question
2: instead of asking how is monthly dignity inclusive we should ask how is monthly dignity striving for inclusion or inclusivity because um there's as Sophia said that it's much more dynamic like being inclusive is not finite like you don't end your job once you check boxes it's about growing it's about learning it's about pushing yourself to ask difficult questions that make you uncomfortable it's about reviewing what you've been doing for a long time and like figuring out that maybe you were wrong and adapting and saying sorry and owning up and um so it's all of those aspects and it's it's much more um yeah dynamic than like
0: officially stated.
2: being like anti-racist like no uh, yeah. being anti-racist is a is a daily problem it's a daily thing yeah. and we're we're trying our best we're we're never gonna be like at the top we we, we strive towards inclusivity always um, and I think that one thing that we do really well is um, like we stay interested in learning about our cause like this is such a rich a dynamic and a complex issue that we are interested in and passionate about and so we want to learn about it and we want to learn about what's happening and what's new and um, like i would never heard of um, like menstrual underwear as boxer briefs before but looking into these options you learn about these kinds of things and it's it's super cool and we have like this uh bi-weekly check-ins with volunteers in which we um kind of assign ourselves readings and uh topics of discussion that um touch upon like issues that relate to period poverty and i think that that keeps us on our toes like it keeps us it keeps us active and proactive in our learning um processes Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so just to add to what Anais was saying is that we've emphasized a lot in, in you know, the past um, 45 minutes, the fact that we want to provide education um, as a means of empowerment to menstruators, but we also really value self-education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is what Anais was referring to is that um, if we want to keep, you know, being leaders in terms of ad- advocacy or just information regarding menstruation, period, poverty, and all, the subject surrounding it, then we actually have to know what we're talking about, but we also need to know what's happening what's going on and keep ourselves in check um, and interested. Mm-hmm. And so we, we try to do that
0: both in our exec meetings um, and in the volunteer check ins. Exactly. And I think, as Anay said, to put it correctly, thank you so much for correcting the or reforming, <laughs> formulating the question, but inclusivity, yes, it's it's a lifelong journey. And when you take upon, like, throughout our life, we'll be learning and unlearning. And it's just a, an approach to better equip ourselves as, as healthcare professionals, as medical students, and as individuals who are essentially serving communities in our lives. Right. Um, and so how has monthly dignity been environmentally and Financially sustainable. So this um, goes back to our tripartite partnership.
1: Um, I think what I explained earlier definitely lends itself to this. So in working with Fampol and Moisson, um, you know, and receiving not only products but also storage for free, this makes it extremely financially sustainable. And then by diverting that waste or by diverting the products that would be filling the landfill and distributing them to people who Um, need them. We're we're also positioning ourselves in a more sustainable position. Um, On top of that, uh, we're trying to now start to include um, reusable options uh, for menstrual hygiene products to uh, offer to our community partners. So we've from the start actually been distributing menstrual cups. Um, Our partner is called OrganiCup um, and they've been wonderful. And so this is an option for people who are living in more stable circumstances, who have access to water um, and the ability to boil it. Um, But now recently, as Anais mentioned, we're also gonna be working um, with producers of reusable um, pads. And this is also wonderful because these two options, given that they are, Um, reusable can be a means of empowerment because you can keep them for a much more extended period of time and thus not be worried about when's the next time you're going to be accessing products like these Um, and so
0: yeah that's my answer Mm -hmm. and so it's been such a pleasure speaking to to all of you here on this podcast but I want to know what has been the most inspiring aspect of the journey being with monthly dignity what have you learned so far
2: Okay, I would say that for me, um, it's been a privilege to be just a small part of the solidarity network of Montreal and getting to see all of these beautiful projects um, and all of these devoted people uh, helping out um, and and supporting each other, Um, like I don't know I think it's easy to be pessimistic and feel like everything is wrong and we're doing it all wrong and I mean it's true that people slip through the cracks and it's extremely unfortunate and there's so many things to change that is that is like I'm not gonna (laughs) contradict that but um the first time I went to Moisson Montréal it was like I was just so grateful that people had thought about this and put so much of their time and intelligence into this project and it was like eye-opening and it it's hopeful it's a hopeful job it's sometimes difficult to like it's and frustrating and that's normal but um I think that for me it's just getting to know these partners that do like a small part and are part of this bigger web and bigger idea and um, bigger hope for a more supportive um, community in general in Montreal. And so that's that's what I've loved.
3: Yeah, I, I would say for myself, um, Monthly Dignity has actually, I joined the team at the beginning of last year um, and it actually like, fruited this huge passion for social activism and like nonprofit work and it actually is the reason that that's what i'm going into in my profession um and i think that in working with monthly dignity and in being on this like incredible team of people um i'm reminded every day that there is hope um, and that like there's this quote that is like kind of like my personal favorite quote and it's from this girl called Rose Eveleth. Um, she's iconic would check out her out she's amazing um, and she always says the future hasn't happened yet and that's the best part, um, and I think monthly dignity really embodies that and really reminds me every day that like. The future is something that like we construct and like you have like personally, you have such a role in like making the future that you want to see and like To be able to enact some small part of that future is really awesome and has been just like the most incredible learning experience and on top of that, I have made some really incredible friends.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And
3: I think For me,
1: um, my experience definitely echoes um, Anais and Sophia's, um, but having, um, starting monthly dignity uh, fundamentally, I think for me came from trying to uh, go against what I thought was a fundamental injustice. Um, Mm. To me, you know, this has been a constant in my head, period poverty is a fundamental injustice. The fact that some people have access to peer products because they can afford them while others don't is a fundamental injustice and it doesn't make sense and it's absurd and it creates cognitive dissonance if you try to integrate it in your vision of the world and the fact that I was able to say and with Julia and everyone else who has joined on no <laughs> I will not accept this I will not I will not accept the status quo because it cannot be and that from that resolution um came the birth of this nonprofit organization that has grown in ways that I could have never imagined this is an extremely empowering and invaluable lesson which is don't settle and don't accept mediocre status quos because yeah. there's always something to be done. And this is a tiny drop in a notion of things that must be done and of things that must be bettered for society to be more just and equitable. But at least it is something. And at least some good, a lot of good have, has come from it. And I think that it's easy to feel discouraged and almost paralyzed by the state of the world sometimes, Um, but this empowerment um, and everything that has come from it is an incredible lesson. I think that will stay with me.
0: Exactly. And, and I think all Chloe and, and the rest of the Monthly Dignity team, you all serve as an inspiration for so many out there who maybe want to take action, but don't have the courage and seeing how, how you can transition and move and how many lives you can touch is essentially um, very inspiring. Um, so how is Monthly Dignity serving humanity? And serving humanity is essentially the motto of the Pyramid podcast. So I wanted to ask you, how is um, Monthly Dignity serving humanity?
1: Well, I like the fact that you, you know, serving humanity in this case, it, it well applies to our cause, I think, because um, I think from from our perspective, addressing period poverty is not only something that will help, you know, the people who menstruate, but it is something that will help the population as a whole, because fundamentally, everyone is affected by period poverty, whether by close or by far. Um, and so to me, tackling it is a service to humanity because it is just stri- striving. It is a way to strive for a more just and
0: equitable, um, equitable world. Yeah. Exactly. And so what are some exciting plans for monthly dignity? And where can listeners follow the organization? How can they get involved? Um, so enlighten, enlighten us.
1: Well, I think the um, pilot project that we alluded to is definitely an exciting uh, plan. So this is the free menstruation equal education project um, that we're working on and that we're going to try to really um, kickstart officially come September so that we can start collecting data and really have a structured um, project that we can then uh, hopefully present to um, municipal and governmental officials. Uh, we're also excited you know, for the petition that we're hoping to launch. Uh, but this is not entirely on our hands. It requires the approval of um, uh, an MP. And uh, coming up is menstrual hygiene day uh, on May 28th. And so on that day, um, in collaboration with other menstrual equity organizations in Canada, we will be advocating uh, for menstrual equity um, and trying to um, broadcast our views that access to period products um, should be universal and not a question of privilege, um, and we're also excited about just all of the cor- the collaborations that are starting to derive from this organization. We've had some media uh, that has reached out to us um, to you know create videos and also just mainstream media, um, and so I think the the general excitement is um, what is yet to come, which we don't even know yet, um, but the constant in this cause is that there's always something around the corner that you wouldn't have expected, um, but that is exciting and fun to get on board with. Um, so yeah, in terms of um, getting involved, I'll let one of my uh, peers answer this. <laughs>
2: Um, well, yeah. Okay. So in ter- for getting involved, I think the first thing is talk about period poverty and think about it and um, like share about it on social media and with your family and friends. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, you can check out our website, which is com. Um, And if ever there's anything that you think that you could contribute, please do reach out to us on our email or on Facebook or on Instagram, because we're always looking and interested in new projects and collaborations. Um, I think another way to help is um, just by uh, bringing like if ever you have period products that you don't need anymore. Um, and that you have extra of because, for example, you've um, switched to a more sustainable option like the Diva Cup. Uh, you can bring those products to one of our community partners called Loco, which is a zero waste grocery store. They have four locations in Montreal and you can bring the products there just to, and then th- those products will be sent to us and appropriately uh, given to those who need them. Um, yeah, anything else? Well. I mean, in in terms of volunteer positions and uh, executive team positions, um, when we are hiring and looking for new folks to join, we make it very clear on our social media. So if you follow us
0: there, you will know. yeah, anything else? Um, so perfect. So I just want to take the time to thank you for coming on to the Pyramid Podcast. It's been such a delight to speak to Anais, Chloe, and Sophia on, on the importance of monthly dignity and the work that you do. And I and I just wanted to highlight that um, what I love about what you've said, Chloe, is that the power of the organization lies in, in the unexpected, that no matter what type of innovation or growth, is coming you guys will happily embrace it and move with it and, and create fundamentally change in in montreal and across canada and i think what you're doing is incredible it's very empowering it's very inspiring so keep up the incredible work of, of motivating and inspiring so many behind you it's it's a really wonderful initiative and I, I applaud you all for for coming on and for sharing your insights so thank you so much thank you Thanks so for much happiness. for having us
1: Yeah, it was really a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the PureMed podcast. It means the world to have a supportive audience from 25 plus countries and counting. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to stay updated. Feel free to share it with friends and family members. And more importantly, please follow Monthly Dignity. The platform aims to distribute menstrual hygiene products to individuals who cannot afford them as well as aims to advocate for menstrual equity across canada for further information follow us on social media or email us at pyramidfoundation at gmail.com we here at pyramid are excited to bring you new content stories and conversations week in and week out we cannot wait to see our new and familiar faces here back each episode Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy.